Okay, tonight, big debate, of course, in South Carolina. The drama right now is palpable. These candidates, they may tear each other's throats out tonight. If I'm the cameraman at this debate, I'm not getting anywhere near Elizabeth Warren. She may get violent. All right, meanwhile, Bernie Sanders is under fire. We're going to get into that. He praised one of his communist heroes, Fidel Castro. Is anybody surprised that Bernie Sanders is praising a communist leader? You, who do you think he's going to praise? Ronald Reagan? I mean, uh, Abe Lincoln? Communists praise other communists, especially dictators like Fidel Castro. So Joe Biden was at a rally. Joe Biden this week was touting his work on climate change and his work to prevent, you know, his work on the Paris Climate Accord. And Joe Biden said that he worked with, on the Paris Climate Accord, he worked with Chinese President Deng Xiaoping on the Paris Climate Agreement, which took place in 2015. There are two problems with this. Number one, Deng Xiaoping left office in 1992. He was the president of China, but he stepped down in 1992. And number two, Deng Xiaoping has been deceased for many years, so it is highly unlikely. Now, does that mean it's impossible that Joe Biden was telling the truth here? Four Pinocchios for Biden. But it's unlikely that Joe Biden, It's look, you never know. Maybe Joe Biden had some kind of seance where they somehow contacted Deng Xiaoping. But it's much more likely he was referring to President Xi Jinping, the current president of China. And it is known that Biden, in fact, did work with him on the Climate Paris Accord. Now, look, I'm going to give Biden a pass. I had to tell you about this because it's important politically. It's fun. But going into this South Carolina primary, Joe Biden cannot afford any more blunders. I do give him a pass on this myself. I don't live in South Carolina. Nor am I a Democrat, but their name, a lot, of the names sound the same. I mean, a lot of the Asian names. I think this is something where we could sympathize. The problem is, if you have blunders every other day, then it, it's less likely that you're going to get anybody's sympathy. You know, uh, but, uh, poor children are just as smart and talented as white children, right? All right, Bernie Sanders praised Fidel Castro. Castro was not all that bad. He taught people to read and write. So Bernie Sanders is getting crushed now. And here's the thing, the Democrat establishment, they're so terrified. They're not attacking Bernie on the the fact that he wants to bankrupt the country, the fact that he wants to turn the United States into Venezuela, the Soviet Union. They're not getting him on any of that. They're terrified of alienating his supporters. But a lot of Florida Democrats now, they have many Cubans in Florida who fled Cuba or whose parents fled Cuba. So they're attacking Bernie Sanders. But like, again, he has to do something so extreme, like like praise Castro, in order for the Democrats to say anything other than he's polarizing. He's going to be difficult. He's not electable. Meanwhile, there's a new poll, by the way. More Democrats believe that Bernie Sanders is able to beat Trump than any other candidate, which is really interesting. And I had a listener, a very avid listener, who I've actually become very close friends with, and he uh, put a comment on the K Report, which is back up and running these days so far. He essentially says, yeah, Bernie Sanders, people believe in Sanders. He's the only one who's got the grit and the, and the fire to beat uh, Donald Trump. But listen, Bernie Sanders says... That Castro taught people to read and write. The problem is, number one, the reason he taught, he increased literacy in Cuba. So it, ha- it turns out it's not true, as we'll read you the statistics in a moment. But aside from that, he taught people to read and write because it helped him spread his communist propaganda. Fidel Castro, he was one of the most evil men of the 20th century and 21st century, by the way. And the, the life in Cuba to this day it is miserable. It is li- literally perhaps the most miserable country anybody could ever live in, Fidel Castro. I mean, he, te- he treated people like animals. You know, but, but the media is acting surprised and like, wow, Bernie Sanders, why would he praise Fidel Castro? 
Hello, who do you? He, of course, he praises Fidel Castro. All this does is reinforce what we've already known. So, Cuban refugees have sent a letter to the DNC blasting Bernie Sanders, and they say that Bernie Sanders is lying. It's actually not true. Cuba had 12 universities when Castro took control, and it had 87% literacy rate and did not need Castro's literacy program. Quote, what the tyrant did, in fact, was implement a political indoctrination program to deceive innocent peasants. Even today, if you look at reading textbooks of elementary education in Cuba, you'll see indoctrination as at the core of the educational system imposed by the Castro Regime, And I'm not going to read them to you. There were a bunch of comments that were made by Democrat congressmen and congresswomen in Florida who are blasting Bernie Sanders over this. And he's defending. He's doubling down. He is defending it. He says that, uh, look, he taught people to read and write. Fidel Castro is not all that bad. He taught people to read and write. And then Bernie Sanders went and he praised China. China is a quote, quote, China is an authoritarian country. But anyone can anyone deny the facts are clear. They have taken more people out of extreme poverty than any country in history. So now Bernie Sanders is praising China. Well, China, look how many people they've taken out of extreme poverty. These countries are not all bad. Fidel Castro, can you imagine if Trump praised Nazi Germany, or if Trump praised, praised some fascist leader? I mean, they would like be impeaching him again. And yet Bernie Sanders, all right, there's a few attacks here and there randomly. But he's, he, he's praising China because they took more people out of extreme poverty. Who do you think put those people in extreme poverty? It was Mao Zedong. It was the Chinese Red China Communist Party that caused that mass poverty. China, I mean, the, the abuses that they do to their people. It's like, it would be like saying Bashar al-Assad, he saved thousands of lives. People were dying in Syria. Bashar al-Assad murdered uh, like 600,000 Syrian of his own citizens, Syrian citizens. And like, like then he stops. He says, he tells his, his troops, listen, stop murdering people. Oh, wow, he saved thousands of people from murder. That's what Sanders is saying about China. I get the feeling with Sanders supporters, it doesn't matter what he says. It's like Trump, he can shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and, and, and it doesn't matter. They will still support Bernie Sanders. It's like uh, this irrational. It's a cult. And I don't even believe this is about socialism. I do not believe that all Sanders supporters are socialists. I think they just love him. They love the movement. All right. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders has released a list of how he's going to pay for his programs, his socialist programs, and the taxes that he's planning, all the different list of taxes that he's planning to impose, mostly on the rich, but also on the middle class. I guess he gets credit for admitting it because they're all going to do it, these Democrats. The problem is Sanders' numbers don't even come close to the estimates of his programs. I mean, we're talking about about $140, $150 trillion if you put them all together. And I'm not just not just me saying that. The Biden campaign has come out uh, with a statement attacking Sanders saying, well, good, he finally released. Instead of saying, well, I don't know. No way to know how much it's going to cost. He figured it out after getting grilled on it. But Jake Tapper and Joe Biden both say that the numbers are not even close to what the actual costs are going to be. And that's just the estimates. The actual costs are going to be higher. He's not even reaching the estimates. The, the real costs are always higher. All right. So the debate tonight, just realize that after all the buildup over the last year, we have been following this Democrat race so closely, day in, day out, you know, and, and the play-by-play, and this is it. it. You know, Tonight, the drama, this is like the pinnacle of what we've been waiting for, the thick of this race. Bernie Sanders may become the nominee. We, it's important to step back and enjoy the process. We don't have any, quote, skin in the game. We do because, you know, we're all terrified of a Bernie Sanders nominee not nomination. But we, we've got to sit back, step back, and enjoy it as spectators a little bit, I believe. 
Uh, now, the polls in South Carolina, Biden still has a lead, but it's very, very narrow. And I'm very into the real clear politics average. There are so many polls across the spectrum here. Some have Biden still significantly ahead. Some have Biden and Sanders in a statistical dead heat. The real clear politics, they do an average, and Biden is ahead by about five points, about 26 to 21. And Tom Steyer is in third place. So here are the big questions in tonight's debate. Mike Bloomberg, will he recover or will he flop again? Amy Klobuchar, will she do like she did back before Iowa? And Elizabeth Warren, or before New Hampshire or whatever, Elizabeth Warren, those are the three. She came out swinging last week. She was the clear winner of the debate, and she's gotten a boost in the in the polls. So what's going to happen with Warren tonight? And the way she did it, by attacking her other, her fellow Democrat candidates. It, you may like it, you may not, but it works. And especially she pounded away at Bloomberg. You can expect that to happen again. Is Bloomberg going to finally figure out? Uh, uh, memo to Mike Bloomberg. They may ask you about stop and frisk. You may be asked about your flip-flop on stop and frisk and the fact that you spent years supporting it, even though it's a racist racial profiling uh, policy, which it's not, by the way, and you know you know my true beliefs on that. So those are going to be the big questions. I believe that Bloomberg is going to be strong. Well, look, he almost can't not be stronger than last week, but I think he'll be significantly stronger. I don't think he's a great debater, but last week it was like a deer in the headlights, and you get the feeling from behind the scenes. Some of his staffers said he wasn't listening. They weren't listening. He was not listening to them. They were trying to advise him, trying to prep him. Listen, you've got to have good answers. For he basically said, "Well, I've apologized already. What do you want?" He rolled his eyes at one point. So you've got to believe that he came out of that debate thinking, you know, maybe I should really pay more attention to what my staffers are advising me. Sanders, Buttigieg, Biden, we know what to expect. You know, B Biden is a mediocre debater. He's not bad, but he simply cannot compete with that crowd, at least not the Biden of 2020, maybe the Biden 15 years ago. Bernie Sanders, powerful candidate, strong candidate. We know what he's going to say. He's going to talk about how Trump is a racist. Uh, you know, he's going to talk about how the top three richest people in the country are wealthier than the bottom 50% combined. The same old talking points. It works. The formula works. You know, there's a story, Buttigieg, we'll get to it, actually ripped off, plagiarized a speech of Obama. And you know, at least, it's, it's of course, it's, it's disgraceful, but at least they're figuring out who to, if you're going to plagiarize, plagiarize Obama, plagiarize Bernie Sanders, because it seems, he seems to have the formula. These candidates, like, they, they don't learn. You know, it's funny. Now, Here's the big question. South Carolina's coming up. If Joe Biden comes in second place in South Carolina, should he even continue to run or should he just drop out of the race? That's going to be the big question. If he comes in second place in South, if, if Biden wins in South Carolina, he stays alive. They're calling this do or die. If Biden comes in third place or below in South Carolina, as far as I'm concerned, he's finished. And a lot of Democrats and a lot of the media, they're already declaring Bernie the winner. I'm not, but they're saying you have another week. They're saying Super Tuesday. That's it. You have seven days now, and it's very hard when somebody has this kind of traction and momentum. It's it's very historically. I'm just telling you, I, I've almost never seen a candidate perform this well. The first three primaries, it could happen. It could happen. Now, meanwhile, there's pressure on the moderates to drop out of the race, and this is fascinating. You got five moderates. So now, when I say moderate, it's all relative, but. Five moderate, yeah, relative to Kami, Bernie Sanders, they're moderates. Klobuchar, Buttigieg, Joe Biden, Mike Bloomberg, Tom Steyer. They're the moderates, right? So they're all dividing the vote, and then the socialist vote is divided between Bernie and some to Elizabeth Warren, right? If four of these five candidates drop out, and they're not going to, but at least, well, you know, not for the next, not before Super Tuesday. Klobuchar, Buttigieg, Biden, Bloomberg, Steyer. If four out of five of those were to drop out, obviously it's just hypothetical. 
uh, then they can beat Bernie Sanders, the one candidate remaining. You know, let's say four of them drop out and they leave Buttigieg, Chas Fisholem. I have a lot of issues with him. I'm sure you do as well. Or, you know, let's say Bloomberg is the one remaining standing, right? Then arguably, a lot of those votes will consolidate to that one moderate candidate. So there's a lot of pressure on them. Let's say Steyer and Klobuchar, who are almost certainly not going to win the nomination, uh, there's a lot of pressure on them to drop out. Now, if they really cared about the party, would they drop out, consolidate the votes perhaps? Now, what's interesting is there's this assumption that Democrats are making that, well, you know, Bernie Sanders, he's winning because the moderates are all splitting the vote. But Bernie Sanders, he's attracting all the socialists, all the all the radicals. And Elizabeth Warren, a few, but not many. My problem with that line of it's in other words, that what they're trying to do is they're trying to brainwash you here. The the, the, the media and the Democrat establishment that the, the, the party's not socialist. The party's not radical. They're, the reason Bernie's in the lead is because the moderates are splitting the moderate votes. So that leaves Bernie all, with, the, with the radicals all to himself. Now, what about Elizabeth Warren? Not sure, but the, here's the problem. The problem is Bernie Sanders was set to win in 2016 against Hillary Clinton. There was nobody dividing the, the vote then. And Bernie Sanders, he had incredible momentum. He's only gained momentum since then. And the reason he didn't mostly was because they rigged the election. And the Democrats now, they're finding it very difficult to rig it. Believe me, they want to. But how do you explain that? You know, so you say, well, Hillary was a weak candidate. Well, the, 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 all these candidates are weak candidates. Which of these candidates is stronger than Hillary? Mike Bloomberg? I mean, Klobuchar? Uh, no, I don't think so. Klobuchar, you know, she, she's, she's okay. But you know, she's not stronger than Hillary Clinton in 2016. So... It just it, maybe the Democrat Party is a radical party. Maybe they're just ready for socialism. The Democrat Party they are so much further to the left. A big part of that is Obama. Obama shifted things so far, and of course the influence of people like Ocasio Cortez and the grassroots. So you know the Democrats they're trying to deny it, but they're a radical party. All right, as I said, Pete Buttigieg plagiarizing Obama. Pete Buttigieg tells a story. He told a story in, in this speech where there was a dark room, a power outage, and then they, people lit up their phones and used it to light up the room. And then Buttigieg says, if you can light up a room, we can light up a town. If we can light up a town, we can light up a city. If we can light up a city, we can light up a state, whatever. And he was literally plagiarizing. They have uh, on social media, they have the two videos side by side. Obama said this in a speech. He said, if we can light up a city or if we could touch a city or something exactly the same i mean literally almost verbatim where obama says if we could do it to a room we could do it to a city and we could do it to a state yada 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 so why is well people judge judge i said as i said if you're going to plagiarize, you know, plagiarize somebody who was a winner, which is what Buttigieg did here. But uh, hello, I mean, can you at least go back 30 or 40 years? People remember Obama, Mayor Pete. All right, so P President Trump in India, huge crowds of people uh, greeting Trump in India. It's not it's not just the United States where Trump draws. He drew like 115,000 in some stadium there, and it would have been more. But again, same old story. You, you wonder if these stadiums, arenas didn't have a cap, didn't have a limited amount of space. You wonder what the maximum draw capacity is for Trump. But uh, he blasted Jim Acosta there. And this is, it is so, so egregious. Jim Acosta, it's the audacity and the nerve, you know, to pick a fight with the president. You, Jim Acosta, you are a reporter. You are as important as a mosquito on the wall. Okay, I'm sorry. That 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 and and look, if somebody said it about me, you know, I would say fine. I accept that. You know, I hope that I'm. I hope that I'm at least 
able to, I want to get people, this is not about me, but you know, I want to get you thinking. I want to give you the facts and I want to ask a bunch of questions, poke some holes and say, let's analyze this. What are you, and if you disagree, if you walk away from my show and you disagree with everything I say, but you say, you know what? I gained something. Thank you. And many of you do thank me. And look, I feel humbled. I just appreciate being, having the schus, you know, to be able to bring you kosher news and politics, you know, but, but I, I'm really not trying to brainwash or change anybody's minds. I, I have strong opinions, as you could tell. So, uh, Jim Acosta, you are worthless. Your job is like a tape recorder. You know, p- just tell us what happened. And you think the story is all about you. And it's disgraceful because here he is in a foreign country. So, and he's doing, he does it on purpose. He knows how to push Trump's buttons. He, he always does this notice in these settings where there's a, a lot of high pro, you know, he's going to get the spotlight, you know. So you got all these foreign reporters there. You're supposed to treat your president. He's your president, Jim, with respect. But of course, you push his buttons and you know that he's going to retaliate. And Trump has every right to defend himself. Basically, Acosta ch- accused Trump of lying. Um he was asked, whatever, it's in the audio section, but it's part of a whole long uh, press conference. But essentially, Acosta asked Trump about accepting foreign aid from a foreign country. And, you know, Trump essentially, see, Trump said, listen, I'm not taking, I don't want any assistance from any foreign country. And, you know, of course, uh, uh, there was a reference made to, to, to Trump-Russia collusion and that bogus fake news narrative. And what do you expect? You're CNN and you're asking Trump. It's a loaded question because you're pushing Trump's buttons, referencing there in front of the whole world, in front of all these reporters from foreign countries, in front of in front of India, right? Everybody's watching this and you are referencing this, this, this phony witch hunt story that you abused Trump with. They, CNN abused Trump with. It was fake news. They, 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 an enormous blemish on CNN, one of many. They totally discredited any shred of self-respect that CNN had, and they didn't have any to begin with. And you know how Trump is going to respond. So, and Trump has every right to respond that way. And he basically, um, you know, uh, disparaged CNN and Acosta and said, you know, that uh, they're a bunch of liars. And Acosta said, well, you have a bigger credibility problem than us. So he's actually attacking Trump. He's, he's, he's calling Trump a liar right there in that public setting for the whole world to see. And good, Trump and, and Trump said, listen, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, etc. But here CNN has abused and maligned Trump and trashed, trashed Trump for years and, and, and then Jim Acosta has the nerve to treat the president of the United States this way? Who do you think you are? I mean, his fellow reporters. We should speak to Jake Turks about this. Yeah, they should call for Jim Costa to resign. You remember Jim Costa? Here I am. I am standing in front of a Mexican border barrier on the border with Mexico. And as you could see, there are no illegals anywhere here. He's literally filming himself in front of a section of border wall, before Trump built a lot more border wall, there was already a small section, and Acosta says, look, look, right behind me here is the border wall, and there are no illegals, as you can see, so we don't need a border wall. What is Trump talking about? We don't need a border wall. There's no illegals anywhere in sight here. I'm at the border. Hello, you're in front of the wall. All right, um, Philip Haney, the, the whistleblower under Obama, the Obama whistleblower, Philip Haney, has been found dead, and the cause of death right now is a mystery. Wow. Philip Haney, he was the whistleblower. He worked for the DHS. He worked for the Department of Homeland Security under Obama, and he blew the whistle that the Obama administration, it's so egregious, and and, and they would have, if this were Trump, I mean, they would have impeached him 10 times. They impeached him over so much less than this. 
And how Obama was not impeached for this is beyond me, but we know the answer. He's a Democrat. It's it's your get-out-of-jail-free card, right? It's the jackpot. So Philip Haney blew the whistle. The Trump administration, they had leads that could have thwarted multiple terror attacks. They had leads on radical Islamic terrorists, many of them, many radical Islamic terror attacks that happened under Obama, including the San Bernardino uh, attack, the horrific attack in California, of course, and there was an attempted bombing on a plane on the way to Detroit. I believe it was in 2009, and Hashem, you know, somehow the bomb malfunctioned, and they were able to tackle him on the plane, but it could have, it could have been an absolute catastrophe. So, so Obama could have prevented those, allegedly could have prevented those attacks, according to this whistleblower, Philip Haney. He said at DHS, he worked for DHS, and they forced him, his superiors, to delete hundreds of names of people linked to radical Islam. And by the way, Obama, he covered up, he protected, this might have had to do with the Iran deal, he protected Hezbollah, there are known cases where Obama uh, instructed law enforcement officials, you talk about Trump interfering with the DOJ, Obama instructed, not him himself, but his people instructed DOJ to not follow up on leads that could have led to arrests in, in Hezbollah and other terrorists. And he seems that he was trying to protect Iran, the people who he, who he gave billions of dollars to. So this man was the whistleblower on all of that. Hundreds of names of people linked to radical Islam, and he had specific instances where these people eventually were involved in terror attacks, and those terror attacks could have been prevented, including San Bernardino. Could there be a bigger scandal than that? He blew the whistle. Nothing came of it, of course. And now he's been found dead three miles from his house in California. Talk about bizarre, right? I mean, uh, very suspicious. I mean, we have to at least admit that. And I'm not into conspiracy theories. But here's the thing. The coroner came out and issued a statement. I, at first I said I saw this, and it's like, you know, I really don't want to kind of get sucked in. Yeah, we don't talk about Seth Rich very much. These things are suspicious. I'm not saying that there isn't validity to them, but I try to stick with the facts and the substance because I really believe that's what you want. And here, the coroner actually spoke to the media and this is what caught my attention because there were reports oh it's a suicide it's been ruled a suicide and there was a single gunshot wound uh, to the chest so the coroner came out and he said listen there's been a lot of disinformation there's been a lot of false reporting we have not ruled this a suicide now he didn't rule it a homicide he said it's unclear it's inconclusive but he said that there are inconsistencies he said this wound the gunshot wound is inconsistent with certain factors that would exist if this were in fact self-inflicted so he said he has not ruled this self-inflicted and it is still a mystery and of course they are investigating, you know, and they're trying to get to the bottom of this. But but right now, it's a mystery, and it certainly is extremely suspicious, raising eyebrows here, uh, where a whistleblower under Obama... Turn, now, am I accusing Obama of... Uh, obviously not right now, but it, it certainly is very, very uh, shady. Okay, we'll keep you updated on that. Lindsey Graham says he wants to ask Andrew McCabe about FISA abuse, and it seemed Lindsey Graham, he wants to subpoena Andrew McCabe and other FBI officials and grill them. What is he, what is Senator Grant, and look, he's been good. He's been very outspoken on this and, and about the Hunter Biden Burisma thing. What are you waiting for? We have known about this, and I know they were waiting for the IG report. These things take so many years. It's painful, painful. But uh, couldn't you subpoena McCabe years ago? We've been talking about this for two years. It, it, it really makes you want to tear your hair out. And I don't know if I blame Lindsey Graham per se, and look, they just announced that they're not going to charge McCabe with a crime, at least in the Hillary investigation. They might still with the FISA stuff. Anyway, so here's what Graham wants to know. 
He wants to know, he says, Andrew McKay, back in 2016, they applied for a FISA warrant to spy on Carter Page, and it was turned down. And then Andrew McCabe said, go to New York. They have a document that may help you. And that document was the Steele dossier. So Lindsey Graham says, how did McCabe know that there's this document, the Steele dossier, in New York? It seems that he may have been tipped off by the Hillary campaign. And, 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 and they want McCabe to answer that question. And it's a very, very, very strong question, you know, one of many about this whole scandal. And he says, why did they, why did McCabe not check it out? And he says, did they really not know that Christopher Steele was working for the Hillary campaign? And he said, what about Rod Rosenstein? Rod Rosenstein signed uh, the renewal of the application to spy on Carter Page. Just after Trump already was president, they're still st spying on Carter Page. They have to renew the FISA warrant. Rosenstein is the, remember, Sessions is recused. Rosenstein's the deputy AG. He signed on that on that on that uh, renewal request for the warrant to spy on Carter Page. At that point, everyone and their grandmother knew that the Steele dossier was bogus. So how did Rod Rosenstein do that? So so Lindsey Graham he wants to bring down to testify McCabe, James Comey, Sally Yates, who was the deputy attorney general under Obama and then briefly under Trump, and Rod Rosenstein. Is that going to happen? I certainly hope so. Why should it not? I mean, if it was the flipped and it was the Democrat, it was the Republicans you know that they'd be testifying. All right, the new public charge immigration rule has gone into effect. And, you know, they call it a wealth test for immigrants. The media calls it this. AOC and other Democrats, they call it a wealth test. You're going to give them a wealth test. And the implication is Trump doesn't like poor people. If you're poor, then Trump Trump dis despises you and he wants to kick you out of the country or he wants to kick you off of benefits. And it's so outrageous. It's so egregious that they call it a wealth test. This is not a wealth test. And it's so sickening, this narrative, this social class warfare that they try to create over here. So here's what, what it is. It's very simple. The taxpayers don't want to bring immigrants to the United States, and then we're going to have to go and pay for them. When we're $23 trillion in debt, when the federal deficit is over a trillion dollars, if we have two choices, bring immigrants who are going to pay for themselves, who are going to work and earn a living, and even pay taxes to boot, or bring the immigrants who are going to live off of government programs. Well, who do you think we should bring? I'll give you three guesses. So, so that's not a wealth test. We're not going over to poor people and saying, listen, you're poor. You know, I'm going to go over to poor people. Hey, how much do you make? Are you $10,000? All right, were well, you born in the United States? Well, we're kicking you here into the ocean, right? That's not what's happening. It's not a wealth test. It's called fiscal survival. It's called the country's on the verge of bankruptcy coming to the United States is a privilege and I'm so tired of the New York Times and everybody calling this a wealth test meanwhile Trump's immigration policies are working not his border policies I'm talking about his his policies to slow down legal immigration and this is not about slow you know again the narrative Trump wants to crack down on legal he wants to keep foreigners out of the country that's what they make it sound like Trump has no problem bringing immigrants into the country. The problem is we're bringing in the wrong immigrants legally. Trump just wants it to be based on, you know, on, on, on merit. He just wants it to be merit-based, and that's what he's driving at here. So number, and, and he also wants to not bring terrorists into the country through legal immigration. So, that, so the main two reasons why uh, right now legal immigration has fallen 11%, according to the New York Times, and they're expecting it to drop even sharper, more sharply. The main two reasons are the travel ban and tight vetting. Trump Trump has instituted a much tighter vetting of people who want entry into the country. Again, a lot of that has to do with preventing terrorists from getting sneaking into the country, claiming that they are coming on a student visa or on some other visa, right? We know about those Iranians who it turns out were linked 
to terror groups who uh, Trump deported, even though they were set to come to the country legally. The other thing is the asylum rules. A lot of people are coming to the United States claiming asylum, then disappearing and never being heard from again. And of course, Trump has cracked down on that, as we know, with the remain in Mexico and everything. So now the public charge rule is going to do the same thing. And Trump is expanding the travel ban to a bunch of other countries. So again, he's doing this to reform the system. Trump, it's very simple. All these people come into the United States who don't deserve to be in the United States and they suck up taxpayer dollars and it ends up being unfair. It means there's less space to allow immigrants who would contribute, you know, just merit-based. It's so incredibly logical. It's racist. That is racist to say that people should come to the United States if they're going to get a degree and work hard and support themselves and pay taxes. Well, that is racist. Well, who said anything about, about about race? It's only the Democrats who are tying that into race. They're, they're the racists. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.